This morning we are in Psalm 23. If you want to go to Psalm 23, and we've been announcing this series for a couple weeks now uh, called Sheepish, and really we're through the month of January and February, and we may even bleed a week over into March. Uh, we're going to cover this psalm, Psalm number 23. And Psalms is an amazing book. I think we all know that, but we see a lot of deep emotion in the Psalms. We see this heart-wrenching despair, and then we see the sky-high praise, and anywhere in between, all of the emotional spectrum is covered in the Psalms. And it's very easy for the, for the Psalms to speak to us, to attach to our hearts. Really, they're there to help us in our praise and our worship of the Lord. I would highly recommend in your own personal devotional or prayer time that you maybe read a psalm every day just to kind of prep your heart uh, for the Lord because there's, there's so much in here. Of course, the psalms... It's the songbook of the Jews. This is what they used to sing on different occasions. Maybe it was the inauguration of a king. Maybe it was uh, a sacrifice. Maybe it was a penitential psalm for forgiveness. But they used this as their songbook. And the word psalms is from a Greek word that literally just means to pluck the string. So this is their songbook. And out of all the psalms, there's 150. I love that there's a round, even number inside of the psalms. Uh, there's 150. Out of all of them, quite possibly, Psalm 23 is a lot of our favorites. So uh, I don't know, maybe you have a different psalm that is your favorite, but for many people, Psalm 23 is their favorite psalm, and they feel like it's the most amazing psalm. Spurgeon called this the pearl of the psalms. And this psalm here is written by uh, David, the shepherd king. And it's unique because it's it's really preached. This is kind of a sermon inside of Psalm 23, and it's preached by sheep. This is, it's designed to be from the standpoint of a sheep looking at the shepherd. And animals have preached a few messages in the Bible. I think that I'd be fitting to say that the rooster preached a sermon to Peter when it crowed the third time. Uh, Balaam had a donkey that preached to him. But here in Psalm 23, we have a herd of sheep that preach to us and teach us what it means to have a relationship with the Lord. So I wanted to read just a, kind of a block quote to you that I came across regarding Psalm 23. And then after that, we're going to read the, the psalm together, the first six verses together. So here is what uh, one author remarked about this particular passage of Scripture, Psalm 23. He said, if there is one psalm that has encouraged more hearts, it's this beautiful masterpiece probably the best-known passage of Scripture in the entire Old Testament. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It's poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick, the captives in dungeons, the widows in their pinching grief, and orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It's visited the prisoner and broken his change, and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home once again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. Such is the powerful peace that has filled the troubled souls of believers down through the centuries. None who have feasted at the banquet table of this beautiful psalm go away hungry. Those are fitting words for Psalm 23 that for many of us is near and dear to our hearts. So I want to read this psalm with you this morning. Uh, over the coming weeks, we may read this responsively or even quote it together, things like that. But this morning, I'll read it to you. Psalm 23, uh, the, the six verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning I'm going to tackle the first five words of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. We're going to cover five words this morning. And I think that what this teaches us is what I'm calling proud to belong to the good shepherd. Here David, I think, is saying, I have a lot of pride in who my shepherd is and that I belong to him. So I'd like to just take five words, the Lord is my shepherd, and preach on that topic, proud to belong to the good shepherd. Honestly, is there a more beloved passage of scripture in all of the Bible? Psalm 23 is something that so connects with us and resonates with us. And I asked the early service this, and I would say probably 70, 80% of the room raised their hand. How many would say, at one point in time or another, I memorized this psalm? I don't know that I could quote it verbatim right now, but uh, many, many. I would say the majority of the room would say, I, I've memorized this portion of Scripture at some point in time. And this is, this is a portion of Scripture that we hang in the hospital rooms. <laughs> This is the portion of scripture that the prisoners scratch on their walls. This is what our young people in their junior churches and Sunday schools uh, many times begin memorizing, but at the same time, it's what the dying have whispered on their lips. This is something that for the troubled hearts, we find this, this safety and refuge and comfort inside of, this, inside of this psalm. And for those that are fearful, we find a father. Those that are lonely, they find a friend. And there's so much here that resonates with us and connects with us. And I will say by way of warning before we jump into this psalm that there is a danger in that. And I'll probably say this just about every week. There, we, the Bible as a whole is, is really pretty simple. It's written kind of to nomadic folk, and it's written in a time frame where people knew about shepherding and sheep and planting fields and harvesting and vineyards, and the themes of the Bible are often that way. However, we, by and large, are not. We're, we're an urban people who live in concrete cities and have <laughs> running water and electricity. And, and some of you in this room, maybe you did grow up on a farm or a ranch or things like that. But for many of us, it's, it's tough for us to wrestle with or fully understand what the Bible is talking about when it begins to talk about sheep and shepherds and, and fields and harvest and those sorts of things. And I'll warn you in advance that there may be, probably not today, but there may be through January and through February, there may be a sermon or two that you come to and we read that he makes me to lie down in green pastures and it becomes new and fresh to you and there's an understanding there that maybe is different than what you had originally thought. You may come to your head being anointed with oil and really have wondered, well, I don't even understand what that means. No one ever anointed my head with oil. And as we understand the life of a sheep and what it is to be sheepish, the words I think will become alive and fresh. But sometimes it means that they actually mean something different than your sentiment and something different than you thought that they, that they meant. And so I warn you in advance, that may happen. Probably not today, but uh, maybe in, in the weeks to come. So this morning I have five words to cover. Uh, that's a very simple sermon, The Lord is My Shepherd. Honestly, it's one of the easier sermons I've ever written because I just get to brag on God today. Like, I just get to talk about how good he is. When it's all said and done, that's what this morning is going to be about. And that's what David is saying. He starts a psalm with his heart of praise that God is his shepherd. So there's three points. You ready for them? The Lord, that's point number one. 
is my, that's point number two, shepherd. So it'll be really, really simple. If you can't remember these three points, then you need help, okay? So here we are, the first, first point, the Lord. Uh, I read as I uh, prepared for today about uh, Lloyd Douglas, who was an American author and uh, pastor. And Lloyd Douglas went to boarding school in the late 1800s. And he tells a story that there was a professor that lived in his boarding house that was on the first floor. He was a retired music professor, and he was wheelchair-bound. And Lloyd Douglas would go down the stairs every day, and before he walked out of the uh, dormitory or boarding house, he would stop by the professor's room, and he would ask him this question. He'd say, Professor, what's the good news today? And he said every morning the professor would take his tuning fork, and he would tap the metal on his wheelchair, and he would say, Douglas, that is middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It'll be middle C tomorrow. That, my friend, is middle C. The tenor upstairs is off tune. The piano is out of tune. But that's middle C. And Lloyd Douglas used that story as an argument that what we need in our lives is a middle C and that the Lord provides just that. That we live in an ever-changing world. When you think about it, there, everything around us changes. Our relationships change. Our status changes. Our health changes. Our job changes sometimes. Our, the amount of children we have changes sometimes. The, uh, the government changes. Taxes change. They always change up. I wish they'd go down, but they always change up. But there's change all around us, and our world sometimes is chaotic. But the Lord is our middle C. He is this this static, true, never-changing point that we can run to, a still point in the middle of a changing and turning world. And that's, don't we need that? Don't we need someone, a God that we can go to, that we can know is the same yesterday, today, and forever, an unchanging shepherd who's there for us, in, who's in all the chaos with us, but at the same time, he's transcendent and he's unaffected by the chaos around us. A God that we can run to and have as this, as this beacon that is a God that no one, no one birthed God. No one, no one made him up. No one created him. No one brought him into being. He's been referred to as the uncaused cause. He causes everything. Everything flows out of him, but he's not caused himself. And this is a God who is never made. And this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 90 when he comes to God and says, before the mountains were brought forth, like literally before creation or ever thou hast formed the earth or the world, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The psalmist says, I can look as far as I want into the past and I can look as far as I want into the future from everlasting to everlasting. You know what I find in all of that? God. And you're there and you're static and you're unchanging and you are the middle sea, the point that I can run to. And that's God for us. Many of us today are checking the weather and we're looking at the Steelers game at, at 105 and what's the weather going to be like and we're trying to factor all this in, okay, it's 10 degrees and the wind chill is, is negative two and, and we're the Steelers, yeah, and they're the Dolphins and they're, they're Miami, they're not used to this weather, this is for, we're constantly checking the weather and checking to see what's happening. God doesn't check the weather. He doesn't have an app on his phone to check it. You know why? Because he makes the weather. God doesn't defy gravity. He made gravity. God doesn't, God doesn't have to be subject to the laws of nature. He made the laws of nature. No one brought God into being, and no one's going to take God out of, out of existence. God is there. He is the still point for us. He is, he is the one that storms don't frighten him. Earthquakes don't shake him. Uh, the, the cemetery doesn't scare God. Your troubles don't surprise God. Why? Because he's the Lord. 
He's there. He's God. He is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who put the stars in the sky like a chandelier. He is, he literally, we think about this, he told the oceans, start here and stop here. The oceans, he told them that. He, he clothes the animals. He gives food to the earth. He's, he's God. He's the Lord. And David starts this psalm with just this deep understanding personally of who God is, that he is Jehovah, and it would do us good to think about who God is to us. You know what we find when we come to the Lord and we begin to dwell on him, we begin to meditate on him and have a relationship with him, we find that he's good. He's a good shepherd. He's not... He's not the Wizard of Oz that Dorothy found. Dorothy and the friends, right, they walked the yellow brick road to find the Wizard of Oz. And what they find when they got to the Wizard of Oz? Smoke, mirrors, it was just a guy acting like he had some power. What we find when we come to God and we can say he's my shepherd is that he's not Wizard of, God, Wizard of Oz-esque. He's, he's God. He literally is. What he says is true. He can do anything. And as we begin to uh, get more knowledge and we begin to understand the universe and the world around us, it doesn't matter if we go macro level or micro level. What we find is that God is amazing. We examine on a macro scale the universe and the stars and the cosmos, and we find that we used to think that we could, uh, years ago, Galileo or all these people thought that they could count the stars. What we found is that when we look in just our galaxy, there are millions, possibly even billions of stars in our galaxy, and who knows how many galaxies there are, millions or billions of those flung out into the universe. And we look at that and we say, whoa, that should make us step back and understand who God is. But on the, on the flip side of things, we can look on a micro level, and the deeper we go down and the, and the, and the more that we see, the more that we find organization and order and God in that. You, you can't, if we were to crack open your skull, I won't crack open your skull today, but if we were going to, you'd find two handfuls of flesh. You'd find a brain with billions, billions of nerve cells, and all of those nerve cells have tens or, or thousands of connections to other nerve cells, and they're all put together in an orderly fashion, shoved into your skull to make a brain. How did God do that? I don't know how he did it, but he's God. It doesn't matter how we look at it, how we slice it, where we examine. When we, when we talk about God, we, we, see, we see this order. We see this, this great God. We find a God who is great and greatly to be praised. We find a God who is there for us. We find a God who is, we talked Wednesday and we were studying Habakkuk about God who's in tomorrow. Not just can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow with, with relative accuracy, but a God who's literally in tomorrow. He's past and future. He's there. He knows what's going to happen. He is, he's God. He's everywhere at once. We're, we're here, and we don't know what's happening in other places of the world right now in this exact moment. God is in all of them at the same time. And this is, this morning would be good for us just to remind ourselves and take this big drink of who God is and how big God is and how mighty he is and how good he is to, uh, to us and just to kind of let it all just soak in and, let, and just ruminate a little bit and, and know he's God. He's the Lord. He is mighty. He is great. He's, he's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's God. I hope that in your own personal devotional prayer time, uh, yesterday, today, tomorrow, throughout the week, that you have, you have some moments baked into your private time that you just stop and think about and praise God for who he is. 
Not just for what he does. We're, we're generally okay at that. You know, Lord, thank you for my family and for my health and for my job and for my money and my car and my house and my salvation and my Bible. I'm for all of that. That's, that's all great. But there should be a time where we where we'd say, not just for what you give to me, but God, for who you are. When I, when I look at you and I consider you and I, I stop just to behold your beauty for a little bit and understand God, who you are, that that should, that should move us. We should understand that he is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is our very help, present help in time of need. He is our Savior. He's, he's God. He's the Lord. And David starts this psalm, no doubt, deeply understanding who Jehovah is, who the Lord is to him. And this is not just, he's talking about he's a Lord or he's, he's a God that possibly we could know, but he says the Lord is my personal is my that it's not just god like god is somehow my co-pilot ever seen that that bumper sticker god's my co god's not your co-pilot god's your pilot i don't know what you are but you're definitely not a co-pilot you may be the crew you may be the passenger you may be the baggage i don't know what you are but god's the pilot he's he's above you but he is he is it is right in the sense of he's mine and and not just i'm mine but he that that I'm his, but he is also mine. David literally, in this passage of Scripture, is boasting, like a child on, on his dad or something. He's boasting that, look at my God. Look at my Lord. He is mine. And when David says, is my, he's not saying is mine in the sense of, I own God. Like, I own the Lord. He's mine. I possess him. He's saying is my in the sense of, he is my shepherd. He owns me. God possesses me. God has a right to me. Remember that uh, Christian classic movie that came out not too many years ago, uh, Toy Story? That was, uh, you remember Toy Story? Woody, it's, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great movie of the faith. Um, what does, what does Woody have scratched on the bottom of his boot? Four letters, right? Andy, A-N-D-Y, Andy. Isn't Woody proud that Andy's on his boot? He loves it. He delights in it. He takes great satisfaction, and Andy owns me. And he also takes great satisfaction that he's not owned by the neighbor, right, Sid, who has all the little toys, and he's demented, and he's blowing them up and playing with them. Andy has this deep satisfaction and love and appreciation. He doesn't want Andy to get rubbed off of, or Woody has the appreciation. He doesn't want Andy to get rubbed off of his boot. Why? Because Andy owns me, and he knows that, and he loves that. That's what David is saying here. The Lord is my shepherd, that God literally, he owns me. He's over me, that Jehovah is written on my boot, so to speak, that, that he is mine, and he's mine because I belong to him. He legitimately owns us and can claim ownership of us. Now, naturally, some people would bristle at that thought, and, and I get that. There are some people that they don't want an owner. They don't want a Lord. They don't want to be lorded over. They don't want a creator to be in control. And they don't want someone, a master. But this is not just biblical. It's only logical that he would own us, that he would be lord over us. And he's, when you think about who God is, if the Bible is true, and it is, when you think about who God is, then it naturally just means he's the owner. He's owner by virtue of creating. Think about God created us. He's a creator. We're the creature. Let's be mindful of that. He's creator. We're creature. What do we, do we feel that if someone in, in our society makes something that belongs to them? Sure we do, unless they sell it. But if you make something, it's yours, right? 
This is, this is why, if you've ever seen a movie or read a book about someone who, who makes this new invention, and maybe they don't get a patent on it, they don't have the intellectual property protected on it, whatever the case may be, but they make this invention, and then some company or someone else comes along, and they steal the invention from it, and they patent it themselves, and they go and they turn a profit on it. Why do we feel, when we see a story like that unfold, that someone was, was, was wronged, that there was something unjust there? Why? Because that guy made it. It's his. He, he created it. That's, that's his. It would only be logical for us to apply that to the creator and the creature. If he made me, and he did, if he made you, and he did, then naturally we belong to him. Naturally we're already his. Naturally he gets to exercise lordship over us just by virtue of being the creator, but not just a creator. God goes a step further, and he's also a purchaser. The Bible is very clear that we as Christians, yes, we are created by God, but we're also, as Christians, owned by God. Why? Because we are bought with a price. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, and Jesus Christ shed his own blood for us so that we are his. You say, that's, that's crazy. He owns us and created us, but now he has to buy us back? That's what the Bible says. That's what the book of Hosea is meant to teach. Remember, if you've never read the book of Hosea, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, Hosea, Old Testament prophet, what does God come to Hosea and tell him to do? He says, Hosea, I want you to go get a wife. Now, naturally, we think that Hosea would be like, yeah, great, I'm going to get a wife. This is awesome. But what does he tell him? Go get a wife from the prostitutes, the one named Gomer. I want you to go get her, and I want you to marry her, and I want you to have kids with her. So Hosea does. He goes, and he gets... Gomer and their husband and wife and they have children and what does Gomer do? She leaves. She goes back to her old life and God comes to Hosea and says to Hosea, I want you to go get Gomer again. I want you to go find her. So he does and where does Hosea find Gomer? Literally on the selling block. On the selling block. The Bible says that Hosea buys Gomer back. That's crazy. It's his wife. I know it's crazy. But what's the point of that whole story? In, in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2 of Hosea, the Bible says this, God tells Hosea, I want you to do this to show the children of Israel my love for them. I want this to be a picture of me and them. I want it to be a picture of you're, you are mine and, and we have the relationship. It's, it's already there. I'm your creator, but you have left me. You have committed adultery against me. You've gone against me and I'm willing to buy you back. I'm willing to take you back. I'm willing to sacrifice. Even though you're already mine, I'm still willing to sacrifice to purchase you back and just by virtue of creating, by virtue of purchasing us, also just sustaining us. We naturally, when someone sustains something, we just start to kind of think of it as ours. I had a neighbor for a period of time who loved to sustain the, the local deer. She would put out this feed and all the deer would come, much to the chagrin of all the other neighbors because the deer would eat her feed and then they'd go eat the bushes and the plants and the trees and everyone else's yards. But she loved the deer. Now, those were not her deer. I, guarantee, I could have, I guess legally, gone in the backyard and shot the deer. But you know what would have happened if I would have shot one of those deer? She would have been real mad. Why? Because she was sustaining those deer and she was starting to kind of think of them as her own. As like, these are my deer. These are precious to me. This is why when we see a story or a movie or something about uh, maybe a wayward parent who's not taking care of the children, what happens in that story? The, the brother or the sister or grandma or grandpa, they step in and they begin to care for the children. 
And if that story is worth its salt and wants to play with your emotions at all, what happens in the story? The wayward person comes back into the picture and all of a sudden there's this tension. This tension between the parent or the owner and the sustainer or the caretaker. And what do we naturally do? We want to side with the caretaker. We want to, we want to side with the, the sustainer and think that they have, they have a right and they, they, should, they should have a saying in this and they should be able to raise the kids. That's what we do. Why? Because they're sustaining them. They, they should have some sort of lordship over them. When we think of the Lord, he creates us, he purchases us, he sustains us. What does that mean? It means he has ownership. He has lordship over us. It means he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. It means he's the creator and we are the creation. He's the father and we're the kids. I want you to turn to one passage of scripture. Go to Colossians 1. I want you to see where Jesus is described as all three of these in one. The the creator, the purchaser, the sustainer, all three in one. Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, lay this out for us that here is Jesus who does all of these. If you're in Colossians 1, look in verse number uh, 14, and we'll read here four verses. The Bible says this about Jesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, purchased. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Created. And he's before all things, and by him all things consist. Sustained. That is our Lord, the one who creates, purchases, sustains us. And what that, that's, that has a deep meaning for us. What that means is we should respond to his lordship. What that means is we should recognize his authority and we should be okay with it. We shouldn't try to push the fence and escape the flock. We should be okay with being under the care of the shepherd because he has a right to it. As I prepared for this series, I came across a book and I'm actually uh, digesting it in an audio form, but you could, many of you maybe have read the book, actually in physical form, uh, by a guy named Philip Keller, who uh, is a pastor now, or I don't, he may have passed away, I don't even know, but he was a pastor, but for a lot of his life, he was a shepherd. He grew up in East Africa around shepherds and herds, and then for the first eight to ten years of his life, he actually went and bought a flock and was a shepherd, and that's how he made his living. And he has a book that is A Shepherd's Look at the Psalms. And he uh, actually writes from the perspective of a sheep and a shepherd. It's been really helpful for me to get some insight into shepherding and sheep life and, and those sorts of things. But he writes that his first flock that he ever bought, it was right after the uh, Great Depression. So he probably is uh, passed away by now if he bought his flock in the Great Depression. So um, he bought his flock right at the tail end of the Great Depression. And he, he said that he worked and scrimped and saved and did, I mean, literally blood, sweat, and tears into saving up enough money to buy 30 ewe lambs, to buy just 30 little ewes. And he, he bought them, and he writes, and he says, to the casual observer, they would walk by this young guy with his 30 sheep, and they would just think, eh, whatever, it's the shepherd with the sheep. So, but to me, it was different. To me, they were my sheep. 
They, I had purchased them. I had worked. I had put my sweat, blood, and tears into getting these sheep, saving up and doing everything I could. And now that they were mine, this was special. There was a relationship here, and I was the, the owner over them, and this meant something dear to me. And when David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, what he's saying is, this is dear to me. As a sheep, it's dear to me that I have the shepherd, but also the shepherd is dear to us. The, the shepherd wants to be ours, and he's a, a good shepherd. And this warrior poet, David, takes great pride in knowing that the Lord's my shepherd, that he is proud to say, I have the good shepherd, and I'm one of his sheep, that this is personal, it's possessive, it's, it's, it's my, he's my shepherd. Lastly, I'd like to talk about the word shepherd. This is just as much an exaltation of the Lord as it is a humiliation of ourselves. When David is saying the Lord is my, not co-pilot, not just best friend, not just God, but the Lord's my shepherd, he is exalting the Lord and he's giving him the place of prominence. He's giving the place of leadership, the, the place of nurturing, but he's also humbling himself. And what he's saying is, I'm sheepish. I am a sheep. And as I begin to read about sheep, they're used often in the Bible as, as a sort of a, a metaphor for us, but I've, I've learned a lot about sheep. They require endless care. Like more than any other livestock, sheep need care. We as sheep are often, like sheep are, timid and fearful. At the same time, we're also very stubborn and foolish. I've learned, this has been interesting for me to learn, that sheep have perverse habits. Sheep have, and we'll talk about them through the course of the series, they have some habits that are just downright disgusting, actually, and completely nonsensical when you think about it in relation to being a sheep and a shepherd. But oftentimes, sheep have these bad habits. And what's amazing is that in ancient Israel, in David's days, the shepherd was not just like a part-time shepherd, but a shepherd was, it was 24-7. You lived with your sheep. This is why the angel can come to the shepherds at night abiding in the field. What are they doing? They're sleeping with the sheep. You lived with them. You slept with them. You cared for them. You were on duty all of the time caring for and, and nurturing and guiding and protecting and, and leading the sheep. And the shepherd would assume Full responsibility for the sheep. That's why Jesus can say that, that the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And this is what God is to us as a shepherd, someone who is our everything, our constant, our protector, our provider, our nurturer, our leader. And the Bible often describes us as all we like sheep have gone astray, right? The Bible says that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Like we are his and the pasture is his. It's all his. We belong to him. This is why Jesus could say, my sheep, hear my voice. This is why Jesus could declare himself the good shepherd. And not every shepherd was good. Understand that a good shepherd is important to this. Just like any other job, you have good employees and bad employees. There are good shepherds and there are bad shepherds. There are good shepherds who love and nurture and provide and make sure that you have ample food in winter and make sure that you have green pastures to graze in and make sure that, that you don't have parasites and that your head is anointed with oil to take the flies away and that, and that you're cared for and that your wool is properly cared for, all the rest of it. But then you have shepherds who just don't care. You have shepherds who are lazy or maybe they don't have the means to care for the sheep and to make sure that the parasites aren't there and the, and the sheep go around as bruised and, and ill-weaned and, and underfed and undernourished. And Jesus says, look, I am the good shepherd. 
When we come to the Lord, we're not talking about just a shepherd, like a God who dominates us and has control over us and slaps us around and throws us around and doesn't care for us. We're talking about a good shepherd who nurtures and loves and provides and a God that doesn't keep you at arm's length and say, I'm, I'm God, stay away from me, but a God who invites you to be part of his, of his flock, of his fold. And David said, I am, I'm an amazement of this. I praise the Lord because of this. I thank him. I extol him. I magnify him. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I'm proud of this, and I want to tell other people this. It'd be good for us on a regular basis just to stop our busy lives and to think about our good shepherd, to think about God, to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the image of the invisible God, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus in the flesh. Jesus God who becomes man, who was is, who is born into a poor, maybe mediocre wealth family, has very little. He's born, frankly, in a very disgusting time frame with, with a lot of just mayhem around him. But he walks with, with dignity. He walks with uprightness. A man who has no, no means by way of money, by political power, by a military, has none of that, but turns the world upside down with his life and his example and, and his teaching. And naturally, we would think that he would if he's God in the flesh. A man who is true and just and tender and loving, but at the same time is righteous, who's tough as nails, and is just downright um, pointed with the religious phonies at times. You have a, a, a good shepherd in Jesus Christ that we can look at and we can consider and we can think about who is he? We talked all through December about why did he come? To set men free, to liberate the captives. And those of us that he has liberated, we should and do love him with this fierce loyalty. Why? Because he's our shepherd. And he's good to us. And he cares for us. And he, he loves us. And Jesus made it very clear that when someone became under his control, they would be identified and they would be known and they would be marked as his sheep. And that's what a shepherd would do once they bought a lamb or bought a sheep, they would take the ear and put it on a wood block and with a knife they would carve their own unique sort of signature or mark in the sheep's ear to signify this is mine. So from a distance you could clearly tell by the mark in that ear, that's my sheep. And that's when we become part of the, of the family of God, when we become part of his sheep, we, he is, he's good to us, we're his, we should know that, we should be proud of that, the world around us should know that. That he is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Spurgeon said it this way. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he's a shepherd to me. He cares for me. He watches over me. He preserves me. I can personally, I can't speak for you. David spoke for himself and I can speak for myself to say the Lord is my shepherd. I know that and I can feel that and I can run to him and, and have and, and know him personally. It is a personal possession that I, I belong to him. I'm under his care and he owns me. So we must, based on these five words, we must ask ourselves the big questions. Question number one is just simple. Do I actually belong to him? Is he actually my good shepherd? Is he, is he Lord over me? Is he mine? And there may be some in the room that say, I, I don't know that. I don't know him as my shepherd. I have never been saved. I've never been uh, bought with a price. I've, I've, never, I've never become under his lordship. I'm not part of his flock because I don't know him. I don't have that relationship. For those of us that do, which is probably the majority of the room, 
do we recognize he has ownership of us? Do we recognize, at least cognitively, do we recognize he is the Lord? He should be able to lord over us. He should be able to be a master. He should be able to be a shepherd who speaks and the sheep follow his voice. And if we cognitively recognize that, do we respond to that? Am am I a good sheep? Do I respond to his voice? Do I not just recognize his authority, but am am I okay with it? Do I bristle at it or am I good with it? Do I allow him to care for me? Do I allow him to feed me? Do I allow him to, to be my shepherd? And if we do, if we can say, I know I'm his sheep, I know he has lordship over me, and I delight in that, I rest in that, I recognize that, and I'm, I'm so good with that, it's, it's, it's crazy that God's over me. If I'm good with that, then we, like David, can proudly proclaim we belong to a good shepherd. We can, like him, proudly praise and tell others and exclaim to the Lord, Lord, you are my shepherd. I recognize you as shepherd. Yes, I exalt you, but I humble myself and I say I'm sheep, which means I need care. I need to follow. I need to be nurtured. I I need to be at times, I need the, the rod and the staff. I need both to guide me and to bruise me. I need it all because I'm a sheep. I humble myself. I recognize your lordship. I recognize your authority. I recognize you are king and I'm not. You're creator and I'm not. And you lead and guide. We like David, then if we can, if we can be okay with that and we can recognize him as a shepherd, then truly we can proclaim with a heart of gladness and, and proudness, the Lord is my shepherd.